this is the Survival A to Z podcast, strategies to thrive from business for life. Each episode, my guests and I explore some ideas that they've picked out from a selection I've given them. My guest today is Joe Jones, founder of Beauty Beat PR and co-founder of the charity Beauty Banks. This episode explores the idea of beauty. Don't believe in being beautiful inside out. I think that really sort of sticks in my throat and makes me feel a bit like... (laughs) The role of the mindset on beauty. If you have ugly thoughts, they will make you look ugly. Why she founded Beauty Banks. You can get angry about something and you get frustrated. You can pray that something changes. You can wish that something changes. You can hope that it changes or you can make it change. And how the definition of beauty grows with age. The things that I found beautiful when I was 24, I found very different things beautiful now. Joe, welcome. Uh, Beauty means the quality that gives pleasure to the sight, a particular grace or excellence, a very fine specimen of its kind. At least that's the dictionary definition. But what I want to know is how do you define beauty? Mm, That's a really good question because I don't think I would define it as the dictionary definition at all. I think that's I think beauty has taken on a such a different meaning over the last couple of years, particularly on the back of um, COVID-19 and the situation we find ourselves in now. It's, it's funny with, I'm reading a book at the moment about Helen of Troy. And when I think about beauty in its traditional sense, that's who I think of. This sort of half godlike, beautiful creature that's so delightful to look at that um, you can't bear to take your eyes off her, women or men. But that's not how I see it. I see beauty as being feeling comfortable in yourself, feeling happy with who you are, feeling joyful in your own skin. I think it's about self-care. I think it's about how you treat others. I think it's about how it's about self-esteem. It's about self-confidence, self-worth, all of those things. And I don't think, I actually do think that beauty is in the eye of the beholder. We all see beauty in different things. Some people see beauty in art. And I look at a certain painting and I just don't get it. And someone else will be rapturous about it. And I'll be like, or my husband will listen to a piece of music like by Kate Bush or whatever, and be like, oh, my God, it's so beautiful. And I'm like, oh, it just sounds like wailing. You know, it's like, oh. And I just think we all see beauty in, in different ways and interpret it in different ways. And I think that that's brilliant, you know, because if we all felt the same and all saw the same thing through the same lens, it would be a really boring world. But I think it's all open to interpretation. And it's certainly not all about looking graceful to the eye or, you know, I also don't believe in being beautiful inside out. I think that really sort of sticks in my throat and makes me feel a bit like... <laughs> what? what do you mean, like a beautiful inside that... that wow, that... you know, when people say, oh, that, they're just beautiful inside out, or she's so beautiful inside. And if you're beautiful inside, then you will be beautiful on the outside. I just find that all a bit sickly. Although I will count, I will contradict myself, which I'm full of contradictions. The most, My most favourite passage in the whole of any book anywhere is in um roll dolls the twits <laughs> okay <laughs> because there's a passage that he writes um and i'm not going to be able to set verbatim because i'm not going to remember things in that way but it's along the lines of if you are if you have ugly thoughts then it doesn't matter um how you know if you have ugly thoughts they will make you look ugly they will distort you 
over time you will look uglier and uglier because you have such ugly thoughts but if you have beautiful thoughts and lovely thoughts they will shine out of your face like sunbeams and you will always be lovely and I just thought that was lovely that's my favorite passage in a book ever and I think that's probably true actually because you can see joy which is probably the purest form of beauty shining through someone's eyes no matter the arrangement of their features I have so often said to people um, given the industry that you know that I built my business in in beauty I've so often said to people there is nothing more beautiful than a smile mm-hmm. and you know and you 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 can't it you can't depend on the arrangement of your features now that said Pythagoras and Plato thought that they had an actual you know, mathematical algorithm for beauty. They called it the golden ratio. Do you remember? And it's like this perfect alignment of features that all beautiful humans possess. So Helen of Troy probably possessed the most perfect version of this golden ratio. Parallel, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so very, basically we would call it, um, uh, you know, the arrangement of your features, being very even featured. I remember um, in the you know, whenever we were doing photography and things, we would look for someone with even features because yeah, symmetry. symmetry, because it, it would be less distracting. And and so they felt that they could you could come up with a mathematical computation that would tell you how beautiful someone is. But then we also know that that's not true, because when someone actually goes too close to that golden ratio, they look plastic because, of course, mm-hmm. we can now with plastic surgeons make people look completely perfect and beautiful but actually perfect isn't beautiful is it no no and I think that we want to see the realness in people I think flaws and all I think flaws are what make us and lines and you know scars are what they've all created they're all part of our story you know and all of our stories are so unique that if you've got a scar above your elbow eye here that tells a story if you've got, I don't know, like a birthmark here, that tells a story. If you've got a mole here, you know, it's everything about us is so unique and so different and it's all part of our own story. So I think you can either change things because you want to be seen as more beautiful or you want to be, you want to look in the mirror and feel beautiful or you can try and work on yourself and making yourself beautiful by making yourself happier and more content and and I think that's more valuable because actually even if you are beautiful beyond beautiful that also comes with its limitations that also comes with its prejudgments and its um restrictions and I think you know no one's explain those you know, <laughs> I'm sure people who are not who are not gifted well, who are not such beauty. I mean I'm not I never have been so I mean I would say that you know I, I think that if you are maybe you know extremely beautiful maybe you're perceived as being could be perceived as being stupid or have nothing to contribute or just a pretty face or you don't get taken seriously or no one wants to hear your opinion because what do you know you're so pretty you've never had or believing that someone that is beautiful has never had any trauma problems or yeah and I think that that's just that's all it is is just a luck of the the dice right yeah I was I was just thinking when when I was thinking about this interview, you know, and I was thinking that I don't remember being beautiful in my 20s. What I remember is is feeling generally just inadequate 
And yet when I look back at um, photos of myself in my 20s, I look incredibly similar to my very beautiful daughter who's a model. But I don't remember that. I remember this inadequacy. And it wasn't until I turned 30 that I realized that that insecurity was something that I could choose to argue with. You know, I could choose to subdue that insecurity. Um, because I also realized that my physical beauty was only going one direction. <laughs> so, and I, and I bet, <laughs> yeah. yes, yeah. exactly. And I'd better discover other kinds of beauty from within, for I was surely fighting a losing battle trying to get to some kind of beauty that I could never attain that was ever was in my head. Do you know what I mean? So I always fell short of whatever it was I thought I should be. And um, and I just spent a lot of time trying to get there and then realized this, that this is pointless. So it's really ironic that the older and less physically beautiful I got, the happier I became. Yeah, but I think that's, I think that's so normal. And I think that in your, your 20s, and I think that's so associated with being a woman, your 20s is all about being cripplingly, feeling cripplingly, cripplingly inadequate and um, just seeing things that don't exist, like weight and, you know, looking at other people, or this sort of comparison culture that we get ourselves into where we compare ourselves to other people, which is obviously heightened by social media and stuff like that. And then other people comparing us to other people. You know, it's just so damaging to our self-worth, but never so much than in your 20s. If I, I guarantee, though, if you were in your 20s, as I will, because I look back at my 20s and go, whoa, you know, what did I have to worry about? I look great and whatever. But if I had the head on now that I had on then, I'd have been intolerable and had no friends. <laughs> so you see, they say that beauty is wasted on the young, but frankly, I'm really, really relieved that young, beautiful people don't also have experience because they would be yeah, exactly. horrific. <laughs> exactly. No, because it's the freedom. It's sort of like the trade-off, isn't it? It's the freedom that comes with being... I think that freedom only properly comes when you're in your mm -hmm. 40s, where you're just... You're still, you know can carry yourself you can carry yourself well you don't might you don't care about going into a room and not knowing anyone you don't care about what people are thinking as much as you did, cared in your 20s you cared what everyone was thinking in your 20s whereas now you don't but if you flip it you wouldn't you would have been intolerable and had no friends so it's kind of it's all part of getting older isn't it I suppose and there are lots and lots of and everyone says it about getting older that they feel more confident and all of that kind of stuff. And I, in my experience, it's I wouldn't be true. Right. I wouldn't be definitely in my twenties again for the world. Apart from I had two of my children in my twenties, and I thoroughly enjoyed that. It was fantastic. But beyond that, I I wouldn't I wouldn't choose my twenties at all. Socrates called beauty a short-lived tyranny. Yeah, I can see, but I also think it's it's nice to have known that. I mean, it's it is equally, you know, there are times when I, I there was a clear time in my life when I remembered that I was starting to become less visible, I think, from what my for what I look like. And that was a real I think in my mid sort of 30s, I started to feel like I was. Not that I was ever a head turner or anything like that, but you have a presence, don't you, when you're younger and you're um and I definitely felt that I was becoming less visible you in know, a visible you, way, but more yes, visible you see, you in other that. ways. And then I sit at my age and I'm trying to imagine, would a 20-year-old girl turn my head? 
And actually, truth is... No, that 20-year-old boy of mine. <laughs> no, not either. I don't... That's funny. I'm just trying to imagine, like, I think you think you have that power. And you have that power, perhaps, mm -hmm. over people who find you sexually attractive, so whoever that is. But, but it's only on that single track. And the mm -hmm. much more interesting tracks of... Um, intellect and experience um, ha you haven't developed properly yet because they couldn't because you haven't lived long enough. So it's, you know, it's just very interesting. I mean, no matter how beautiful the person is, I don't think, I don't think they arrest my attention in the way that a really interesting, fascinating, mm -hmm. captivating person can. Yeah, but then you need time, True. don't you? You know, it's only fleetingly that sort of... And there's not really many people that I... That even then caught that much my attention. I would just much prefer to know someone first. I find people much more interesting the more that I know them, or yeah. least interesting. <laughs> well, indeed, it can go the opposite direction. Do you know what? Yeah, exactly. I want to ask you um, this interesting thing. Why beauty? Because... Beauty and the beauty industry are often dismissed as trite and light. And I know that when I was in business in beauty, I really struggled with referring to myself initially as part of the beauty industry. Because I worried so much yeah. about the negative effects of the beauty industry. But I'm not going to put words into your mouth. I know you're doing amazing things with your connections in the beauty industry and with your charity with beauty banks but why initially beauty um i it, for me it was actually pure accident and i didn't i actually started off in um at mtv that was my first job i worked there as um in the pr and marketing team and so basically it was music so i didn't really have anything to do with beauty and then so I do. I, I worked in consumer for a couple of years and then I went to work at Procter & Gamble and you don't know what you're going to end up doing when you go to P&G. You know, it could be washing powder, could be tampons, could be razors. You know, you don't know until you're there and they sort of second you into different areas. And I got put onto Olay, Max Factor and Pantene. So that's when I sort of, and that was quite far into my career. You know, I'd been, go, I'd been working for about eight years at this point and I just really enjoyed it. And, you know, I have to say, without sort of meaning to diminish <laughs> the industry at all, but I found it much easier. You know, I found I, I, there were, I found a lot of pleasure in the products. I found I was genuinely interested. I've loved makeup since I was a kid and skincare and all of these things. I'm generally interested. And it just brought a different level to my interest in working, loving the products and the processes and the things that I was working mm -hmm. with, you know, where I didn't feel that way about music necessarily I loved music but you know when you're MTV there's a lot of crap that you have to listen to and that I didn't enjoy and and other things that I did afterwards I found really not as interesting and I just loved it I just I didn't mean to specialize at all I didn't mean to to go into beauty I just sort of found myself liking it and then when I was looking for another job I was offered um, a job at the communication store and that was all beauty and fashion 
And I just, again, ended up working on the beauty side. But I was embarrassed for a lot of years of telling people that's what I did. A lot. Um, you know, I would. all my friends were <laughs> lawyers. Um, my boyfriend at the time was doing a PhD in English at York University. So the sort of, I would spend a lot of time with academics. I would spend a lot of time with um, doctors and so, uh, solicitors and lawyers. And it was embarrassing. Oh, yes, I work in beauty. And they would feel you know it would be a bit embarrassing but then over time it sort of changed and I got people just would be more interested in what I did than anyone else around the table because it was different to what they were doing you know and they were much you know when I started working with brands like Burberry and Charlotte Tilbury and Space NK and these and there was this little uh this little sort of tanning brand that you may have heard of would be to Liberata. And then suddenly people are more interested and you realise that actually it's not just about beauty. It's about, it's not just about what you look like. It's about how you feel. And, you know, a man who, there was a guy who was a venture capitalist and he said, oh, beauty, what a load of old nonsense. It's just a load of frivolous stuff. And I said, I said to him, his name is Joe. And I was like, you have your hair cut twice a week. You shave every single day. You wear aftershave, you wear deodorant, that is grooming, that is a part of beauty. You don't have to do those things. You choose to do them, and why do you do them? Because they make you feel good, because they make you feel like you can stand tall and work, you know, stand up at work feeling confident, and they give you dignity and pride. So as a, I think that there's a lot more of, there's a lot more to beauty. Than yeah, I, these, there's, I mean, from a purely evolutionary perspective, beauty is sadly important you know um and it's without a doubt that those blessed with natural beauty do seem to often have an easier run of things particularly in the youth so having talked to lots of people about beauty one in particular phrased it gorgeously of course is only alessandra can so alessandra steiner said that she felt that what she liked about the beauty industry and what made her feel proud to work in the beauty industry was that it seemed to level the playing field a little bit. It seemed to democratise the the chance to have an effect on life. Yeah, because the lipstick yeah. fits everyone. A pair of 10, size 10 jeans from J Brand or Ford to don't fit <laughs> everyone. A dress doesn't necessarily fit everyone, but a lipstick fits everyone. An eyeshadow, a mascara, whatever, fits everyone. You know, it is for everyone. It's much more democratic. It's much more inclusive um, in that sense. And I think that fashion is is much more polarising and it isn't for everyone. If skinny jeans are in and you're not skinny, then, you know, you're made to feel inadequate and you're not fashionable or cool or trendy or whatever. Whereas lipstick, if red lipstick is in... Sort of so interestingly, you said about grooming being such an important part of a male regime but it's really an important part of everybody's regime and your uh, charity beauty banks uh, with sally hughes is really really importantly addressing that need that can be seen in charity terms i guess well it's not hunger it's not thirst it's not mm -hmm. illness so you know is it frivolous and of course it is fundamental and core i'm guessing to how a person feels about themselves if they if they're trying to go and get jobs, if they're trying to pitch up and be significant, but yet they feel that they haven't had soap in their shower, they haven't had cleanser on their face, they haven't had moisturizer, their skin feels 
tight and so on. These things, I guess, are incredibly important. I know that if I didn't have all those things that I use every day and take for granted, you know, I would feel much less confident about myself. So tell me about Beauty Banks because it was really an original kind of charity as far as I could see, you know, a, a real one-off. There's a few more now, but but it was a very interesting concept. I think that, well, Sally and I, well, but it was born out of something. It was born out of frustration and anger. At the, you know, there was a lot of things happening when we started the charity, which was in February 2018. There was, you know, horribly terrible images of young children, refugees being washed up in beaches in Greece um, because they had escaped war-torn areas. There was Brexit was just about to sort of kick off. There was a, We were both feeling quite frustrated at the amount of food bank usage that was going up, the inequality with poverty in this country, in the UK. And both of us had friends that were teachers that had to bring in sanitary products for their students because students couldn't afford them. So there's a lot of stuff happening. And we also, in we both work in beauty, in the beauty industry, and we see a lot of waste. We see a lot of um, generosity, right? So we're seeing a lot of products that go to waste, a lot of money that goes to waste, but also a lot of generosity. So we simply had this idea of bringing, using our connections and using our I guess reputations but using our pull to just trying to marry the haves with the have-nots right so it was just as simple as that and it's still very grassroots handmade there's nothing polished about us we don't we're not a business we're not an organization we are a movement just trying to to support people living in hygiene poverty now what hygiene poverty means is it's not someone who can't afford a lipstick or who can't afford um a mascara or fragrance or perfume it's not nothing like that it's people who can't afford the basics that we rely on every single day like you said like shampoo shower gel deodorant toothpaste and if you can't afford those things then actually if you try and reimagine your day without you get up you can't brush your teeth or you can but you're sharing your toothbrush with three other members of your family you can't use deodorant you because you can't afford it you can't get your hair cut because you can't afford it. Um, you're using fairy liquid to wash your body as well as to wash your hair. You know, all of these things. And we've all been in a situation where we've been up all night or we've been ill and we haven't been able to wash properly. And you know how that makes you feel. And that sort of, you know, that indignity and that lack of confidence and just social interaction and engagement. It's just, you know... People shouldn't have to, in Britain today, first world country, should not have to choose between buying food or buying soap, which sadly people have to do. And of course, you have to buy food because you have to survive. You can survive without soap, but it doesn't do much for your um, for your social standing and it doesn't do much for your confidence. Or for I'm, I'm, I'm reminded of that phrase uh, to describe the poorer classes, the great unwashed you know yes how awful is that how and i'd forgotten about that the great unwashed yeah horrific and actually you know what it's when you hear some of the stories that we hear it's you think to yourself there but for the grace of god go i you know you don't know i don't have savings my mm. husband doesn't have savings what happens if one of us lost our jobs or you know we couldn't afford the mortgage payment and then you you default on another mortgage payment and God knows how what COVID's going to 
how that's going to affect poverty levels. It's going to go through the roof. So, you know, I think you can get angry about something and you get frustrated. You can pray that something changes. You can wish that something changes. You can hope that it changes or you can make it change. And that's what, you know, that we're trying to do with Beauty Banks. Okay. I don't think there's anything more to say about that. I think you just about <laughs> wrapped that one up. I do want to, although I do have a couple more things just to say about beauty. Um, and I'm really proud of your charity, by the way. I, do, I think it's, I think it's tremendous. I, I really do. I think it's tremendous. Um, what do you think, if any, is the difference between beauty and sexuality? Oh, the sexuality is all inside. And that's all. That's like sexuality is like is how you feel inside. It's nothing. Like someone could be sexy and not traditionally seen as beautiful. Oh my god! Like all those rockers and. You know, those, I used to be obsessed with people like Axl Rose and Prince because they were sexy, not because they were beautiful, you know, but their sexiness. That's what I'm saying. Beautiful. So maybe they no, were beautiful. Sexy is energy, you know, it's, it's self-belief, it's confidence and it's just rawness and, yeah, it's not about, if sex, if sexy was about being beautiful, then, Mick Jagger wouldn't have as many. <laughs> it's not so interesting, though, that you, everybody you mentioned was a man. So men get away with being yeah, I'm from your perspective. From my yeah. yeah, yeah. And actually, I think there are lots of sexy women that are, um, you know, that I could look at for days. Like people like, um, oh, God, who's, uh, God, I always forget. No, J-Lo, right? I could look at mm -hmm. her for days days just so sexy and um oh, who's the one um eva yeah. mendez sexy sexy and i can look at those women and just and they're obviously gorgeous like super good but more than that beyonce like real like just sexy i just think that's so much more appealing than you know a really beautiful supermodel or model or whatever you know, I can see Helena Christensen is incredibly beautiful, incredibly beautiful. I don't find her sexy. Isn't that interesting? It's kind of... Isn't that interesting? Beautiful, really beautiful, but just looks, just look like she's got, like, sass, I think. is. So maybe yeah. Helen of Troy could launch those thousand ships because she had beauty and sexuality. She could. I mean, I've read so much about her now because my daughter's uh, Violet's doing the classics so we're learning about, we're relearning, I'm relearning and she's learning at the same time. So it's very difficult to know when you look at, when you read things from lots of different historical point of views, like what was fact and whatnot. But I think also he was only 16. I wouldn't have found a boy of 16 that sexy, would you? <laughs> she was nine years I older. don't imagine I would, but, you know, don't imagine no. I would. A long time ago. Last thought <laughs> for me. Um, you know, John Keats said, who died at age 24, said, poet. Oh, it was only 24. So poet. He said, beauty oh, is truth crazy. and truth beauty. That's all you know on earth and all you need to know. Now, given that he died so young, um, maybe he wasn't a genius. Maybe he was just an articulate kid with a lucky turn of phrase. But let's imagine... He was a genius and he did actually mean what he said. Was he talking about physical beauty? 
He must have been at 24. <laughs> I just don't understand how you could be, obviously being 24 then was very different about being 24 now. No, I think beauty changes as you get, maybe it was right for him then and it was right, it was right then. And maybe it, it's all about interpretation, but I just feel like the things that I found beautiful when I was 24, I found very different things beautiful now. And the things that I like reflecting and just love to to enjoy that I find beautiful are very different than, you know, for instance, a garden. Yeah. I didn't give a toss about gardens when I was 24. <laughs> you know, and now I could just lie in the beauty of nature. I didn't care. I was never, in, you know, you're always inside when you're in your 20s, in clubs, at other people's houses, in bars. Like you're never outside. <laughs> and now I just love to be outside and I find it so beautiful and, um, I don't think beauty, beauty is just a physical thing. I think it's much more of a, I think it's much more intangible than that. Yes, definitely. Don't you? Beauty is in the heart. It resides in the heart, I think. It, yeah. And I think being beauty is more physical, you know, and I, I just think, and being beauty, beautiful isn't enough. It isn't enough. I remember when I was in my early 20s, I went out with this guy. I dated this guy who was so beautiful that I couldn't look <laughs> at him. Right? You know, when you're just like that, oh, my God, I can't look at him. Like well, I would turn to stone or whatever. He was so boring and so dry. And I just, I found him completely unattractive within a couple of weeks. And we do you think his dating. boringness and dryness was linked to his beauty? Had he just never been challenged because he had this effect on everybody, so people just dried up themselves and talking to him, you know, they just went, ah, and then, well, he, so he, did, well, he just didn't have interactions that were deep and meaningful because he could never get past his effect on other people. Perhaps, but I like to think <laughs> he was just bloody boring. <laughs> and I mean, Alison, honestly, but the way that you're, like the way that you just are so physically enamored with him, like, so beautiful. And I don't know if he was beautiful to everyone, you know, but I certainly, for me, he was like the, you know, incredible. And then I met someone else very soon afterwards who was nowhere near as good looking um, from a physical sense, but was just, I just loved him. And I fell in love with him because he was just fun and hilarious and kind and caring and just great to be around. And I found him far more beautiful than in the end than I found the first guy. I think that it's not enough. You know, it's not enough. Otherwise, you know, and you forget, you sit, you don't see looks after a while. The longer you're with someone, I know age makes you, age changes you. But sometimes people say to me, oh, your husband's so good looking. And I'm like, I'm like, oh, you know, that's not that doesn't sustain not, a relationship, does it? You're right. Doesn't make a great father for your children. Doesn't make a great companion for your life. It doesn't make a good, you know, a, you know. It doesn't make someone your friends like them or want to spend time with them. It's kind of so one-dimensional. Yeah, totally. Listen, Joe, thank you very much for discussing beauty. And um, You're welcome. <laughs> we shall all go away, look in the mirror and say, yeah, it doesn't matter. It mattereth not. 
<laughs> it certainly doesn't matter the older you get because you become your eyesight gets so bad. <laughs> I have always, anyway. I have always said, you see, nature is kind. Your eyesight gets worse the yeah. older you get. So when you take your glasses off and you look in the mirror, you look fine. You look like you looked when you were twenty-five. <laughs> It's like it's like a natural self-focus. Nature's self-focus is your bad eyesight. <laughs> I wonder what my 25-year-old self would have made of me now. Slightly horrified, probably. And that's because beauty is not objective. It is so much more than the arrangement of anyone's features. I believe that it's a combination of a joyful, sunny attitude, a healthy outlook, a balanced mind, a generous personality, and the ability to have fun. Without all those things, the beauty you possess, no matter how fleetingly arresting, will not sustain you through a long life. Rather, its gradual loss will imprison your waking moments. Maybe that's bullshit, and just my way to console myself when I look in the mirror. Maybe. But also, maybe it's the actual truth. Maybe mirrors are the enemy, for beauty can never be found there. You've been listening to the Survival A to Z. My guest was the inimitable Joe Jones. I'm Alison Hogg, and until next time, practice that joyful smile, for believe me, it is truly your best beauty asset. Mm-hmm.